Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 163 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Tony Rose Deanne and they them pronouns, a community engagement manager here at MCP. And I am joined by high school design and innovation educator, Joyce Pereira. Welcome, Joyce. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's so exciting to be in this space with you. Finally, I feel like I've seen your name all over social media, right? So it's like, it's just really nice to see your face and just have this conversation. And so thank you so much for saying yes to the podcast. And before we get started, this is something that I really enjoy asking anyone and everyone that I meet with is like, what is bringing you joy currently? I love transforming chaos and complexity into order, beauty, and benefit to myself and those within my circles of influence. So that brings me joy every single day. Oh, I love that. And so now I feel like I have to have you in my pocket because I feel like my life is just so chaos. It's just chaos. <laughs> it does feel that way. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. This is yeah. going to be such a good conversation. And so um, tell us more about who you are and how you started your MCP journey and how you started just like a, your education journey, honestly. Yeah. So I'm... Originally from Brazil, so Brasileira, a little shout out to all our Brazilian listeners out here. Um, I actually began my journey with MCP when during COVID. I think that's a very, you know, common story that I've heard among other MCP colleagues. And um, during that time, my goal or my question worth answering that year was how might I optimize available resources to create opportunities for meaningful interactions and productive conversations. I felt I had lost that with the distancing and the online interactions. And as we were coming back into the classroom, I had formed very bad habits. And so I didn't want to blame COVID anymore. So I said, I, this is my question worth answering this year. And as I went in pursuit of it, I stumbled across Modern Classroom Project. And I fell in love because they the the framework was not asking me to transform everything it was just you have resources let's just restructure them let's just reorganize them and then fill in the gaps and that really appealed to me and i jumped on and completed the mentor program um and in that season i met and made a lifelong friend and thought partner with my mentor megan we still keep in touch and we just work together and brainstorm at least once a month. We're still connecting and growing together as professionals and as humans. So I thoroughly recommend going through um, the classroom and I'm currently um, going through the, the mentor program myself to become a mentor. So I did the educator program and now I'm in the mentor program. I think it's a good season to give back to this beautiful community that has invested so much and has improved my practices. And I would like to give back by becoming a mentor myself. So here we go. I just started the journey. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so exciting, Joyce. Yes. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Um, 
this is so cool to hear about just continuing to have a relationship with your mentor, right? Um, I know that I definitely still to this day talk to a couple of my mentees when I was mentoring um, and just kind of like catching up and just seeing how life is going and also seeing the how they've evolved, right? Um, and, and so this is really, really, really exciting. Mentoring was definitely one of my favorite things because it exposed me to so many different types of educators and so oh, yeah. many different types of schools and districts and like, it's mind boggling out here. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I can it's imagine. Really, really, really cool. Um, okay. So, and then also, um, Joyce, I know that you work internationally as well. I do. Yes. Yeah. Um, and how long have you been doing that? So I started being a local hire at an international school in Brazil, in Curitiba, down south of Brazil. And then I transitioned to the United States, where I started working at Atlanta International School in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. And in 2020, I moved to Korea, South Korea, and I'm teaching now at Korea International School near Seoul. So... This is my oh. current experience being very abroad on the other side of the world now, um, just experiencing teaching and learning in a new place, in a new space. I mean, and those are all very different, right? Like oh Atlanta, my. Georgia, and then Seoul, <laughs> Korea. Like that oh, is yeah. wild. Uh, and that's, that's really exciting. So thank you for just like choosing a time and day that works for us to record. So I appreciate that. Um Okay, so this month we're focusing on time management, essentially providing strategies for educators to feel joy and sanity again. Uh, so we have this beautiful tool available for us, AI, or some will say it's a very terrifying tool. Um, so artificial intelligence, and you've done a really, like you've done a good amount of things with AI, just based off of like the posts that you've been sharing on social media um, and just in our Facebook group. And so how can we use, embrace, accept AI to help manage our time as educators? That's a great question. My first my first response is we need to identify what takes up most of our time and energy. What are the activities that are really taking up that time and energy and looking for tools, especially generative AI, to help us optimize those workflows or those situations. So I tell my students and I tell my colleagues that AI, their results or their output, its output will be as simple or as sophisticated as your level of literacy. So if you really know what you need from it, the better the output will be. So if you have, if you struggle with writing a difficult email, that's a pain point for me. If I have to have a, enter into a hard conversation, how do I frame that email? That takes up a lot of my time and energy. And I now use ChatGPT, um, Gmail also has an add-on called Ghostwrite that you can use to help generate these kinds of emails. And you can select the tone, the length, and it just creates this really nice starting point to get you through that difficult barrier because you have all of these emotions that you know your the receiver is going to have and you just want to get the language started. And so I do see AI being used as a way to help us break down the things that take up so much time and energy. And that's where if you can clearly identify what are your pain points, is it writing a difficult email? Is it you have a hard time generating some prompts? Do you have um, 
Do you have a, I don't know, writer's block? Do you have a hard time generating um, or going through ideation? So all of these things, these pain points can be minimized by asking AI, okay, give me some ideas, get me started, and then going through and then adding your own touch. So I will always, of course, read um, and do my human verification of the email to incorporate some more customization and personalization. But I feel such a relief when at least the initial language is generated so I can then go from there. You know, it's really interesting, Joyce, that you mentioned emails right away. Um, I absolutely despise emails um, only because it just adds up, right? It's like, oh, today I got it all. I've read everything. And then like the next day, it's like 20, 30 more emails, right? And so being able to create and manage like the word language, like you said, right? Like, and this is something that I'm telling um, my sister as well. It's like, hey, you got a blank page. Go and use chat GPT to get you started and then like reword it, revise it, um, put in your own tone and your own like voice and that writing but at least you have something to start with, right? Um, and, you know, being like someone who's uh, neurodivergent, right? Like it's really mm. difficult for me to get started. So I need to have more guidance of like, let me, like show me how to get started and then I will take it, right? Absolutely. Um, so I really, really appreciate you sharing that, that fact. And I, I mean, like, you know, as you know, educators really don't like their emails as well mm-hmm. because we get so many of them. Um did you know that there's also like an AI tool as well to like summarize your emails? No, oh, I love So that. like if you're just like driving or whatever, they just like summarize all the emails from your principal or like from a specific like student. And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. So then you don't actually have to go through all of the emails. And, and I was just like, wow, that is such a cool tool to again, save time. Right. Um, and and I mean, even like this ghostwrite thing that you're talking about, Joyce, I didn't know that that was even an option. There are so many add-ons that are now av- that have been available, but are becoming more so. And I love going through Google add-ons. And again, if I know what my pain point is, I can better search for the tools that exist to integrate into the platforms I'm already using. And we'll start seeing, we'll continue seeing this integration more and more because Gmail was already predicting or offering predictions of what you were going to type or what you could say. Now they just amplified it. It's now enhanced. It now writes the full thing for you. And um, so, yeah, having these add-ons and these widgets integrated into the tools that we already have has really optimized this workflow and minimized these pain points. Oh, I love that so much. And also just like kudos to just saying, again, like we're working and being more intentional and reflective in our practices, right? Like we have to sit first and figure out what our pain points are, like you said, and then find those tools to help with those pain points. We can't just like go in there blind or like go in Correct. there not knowing what we want because then we'll just waste so much more time trying to go figure with out the what purpose. tools are out there. <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. See, managing time already. <laughs> Look at us. Um, I know. So, okay, what are, you've mentioned ghost, right? Um, but what are some other AI tools that you've used to help you free up more of your teacher time um, or just time in general? And then how did you come across these tools? Because like you said, the Google add-ons, that's something that's just in your practice to like sift through, right? But for me, it's not part of my practice. So I would really have to be intentional and 
like making sure that I'm not getting lost in the sauce of just like finding all the tools that I can use. So any guidance on that? Yeah. So currently my go-to is ChatGPT. It's just, I'm excited to see what it does and it has become my go-to and this, the ghost, right, for my email. And I'm sure there are many other email generating AI tools that you can integrate. So definitely ChatGPT has been my go-to. Um, how we came across it? Well, it took the world by storm last year. <laughs> so that's how I became familiar with it. Uh, Google add-ons was already a practice I had with my students. So I would just say what learning skills or what I taught in IB school. So we looked at um, the learner attribute or the approaches to learning. I said, okay, what kinds of skills are we trying to develop and what kinds of tools are out there for us to use to help us optimize or hone a skill? So I kind of went in already and saw since I, my school and the schools I've been at have been Google suite tools. Um, I would go to their ad and say, okay, what can we do to add on to my Gmail or to any of my Google services. So that kind of has been a practice that I was doing um, just to kind of see what um, do we have available for bibliographies and citations. And um, every single Google product does have their managed add-ons. And that's where I would go just to see what kinds of resources are there to really help and support myself and my learners with what they need. So we were very purpose-oriented and every student selected different add-ons. And I just say, try them out. If you don't use them, then let them go and then, you know, find something else. So it's more of an exploratory thing. And I'm just fascinated, fascinated by these tools to see, you know, how do they make life easier? How do they optimize some things that could be automated or could make things a little bit easier for myself? Um, and a lot of these really powerful tools are integrating AI. So I love using Canva to generate visual summaries or just visualizations for my class. And they're on it. They already integrated AI to generate images and posters and just visualize your information. And so I think we're going to start seeing more and more of these wonderful products. They're going to start building and integrating AI into them. And they many of them are already doing that. So for me, it's ChatGPT, Google add-ons, and um, Canva have been my personal top three to get through the the workflow that I have. I use CodeHS. I teach programming, a little bit of context. I teach programming in APCSA. And so I do a lot of debugging and I currently use CodeHS as our platform for learning. And again, they are already on it. They've integrated AI into their grading system. They've integrated um, these tools to support the flow of learning on that platform. And debugging, oh my goodness, it's it's been night and day being able to get code that functions so much faster because we're not looking for a semicolon anymore. We we can, you know, ask ChatGPT to debug it for us, teach us, you know, what was the mistake, what was the error, and then we're ready to do the next thing the next part of our code. So yeah, don't even get me started with debugging. It's been a game changer as a programming teacher. <laughs> Oh, man. And I, I really appreciate like just your energy and your passion, right, about AI and how it's just made your life a lot better um, and as well as students, too. And and I really appreciate you saying like the students, the learners have the ability to explore and you give them the time and space to exp and the permission to explore. Right. Because sometimes 
we need permission to explore. And I, I'm, we want to disrupt that. And it's just the way it is right now. And that's okay. So like providing that permission of like, hey, try out things to see if it works. And also like, what's the purpose? Like if you're doing biographies, what is a great tool to help you with biographies, right? Like again, being more intentional and being so specific and centered so that you don't get lost in the sauce, as I would say, right? Um, I... And when you talk about Canva, Canva is, like you said, a game changer. Like, I do feel like I want to play with Canva a lot more because of just all the AI tools that they've created to create the visuals that we need, actually, right? Like, there's no more having to Google specific, like, you know, things. You can just make it and create it and then it's right there and that I think is going to be so cool and it's going to continue to be cool and another thing that I really love about Canva too is like you can have a headshot you can make your headshot look like you can grab whatever picture you have (laughs) and then put on just like a a button up or like a nice flowy shirt and like that's so cool to me like that is so 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 rad um And again, I just want to really say that I appreciate all the resources that you've provided Mm. in the Facebook group of just Mm. like all the things that you do with your students and in your classes. And so um, I I just, again, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, And also just knowing that like, hey, coding, programming, Mm. women, like, yes, 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 it is. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Um, So, okay. Well, then how can educators use AI in their modern classrooms? So we're thinking about self-pacing, we're thinking about blended learning and mastery-based learning. You've kind of like alluded to some ways, right? But let's talk about it. Let's talk about it some more. So good. So I love to take things apart to their parts and their purposes. So when I think of how I have used AI to support me, I think about the parts of the modern classroom. So my do-nows, maybe I need something to help me generate a do-now that is more customized or specific to a certain thing that I would like to review with my students. Um, the, the learning categories as well. So if I want to generate some must-do or should-dos or aspire-to-dos, any extension, sometimes my pain point can be an extension. How do I really create an opportunity for students to extend or enhance their understanding? And so I can use ChatGPT or any other generative AI to just support and help me get some ideas for extending or finding ways to enrich something. Um, To create practice checks. Oh my gosh. You can ask it to generate multiple choice questions. You can give it the content. Again, the more specific you are, the better the language that you're using to type in uh, the, the prompt, the better you are at prompt engineering. It's just incredible all the different kinds of questions with answers and explanations you can have it generate for you. So every single part or every single step within the MCP MCP framework can be generated using or help. You can use AI to help you generate these components within the MCP framework. So mastery checks, we want to have a variety or range of them if students have to retake them. Uh, you don't want to give the same ones over and over again, but you can have and, and copy paste things into ChatGPT and say, make some changes, you know, um, restructure this question, ask this in three different ways. Like there's so many ways you can get AI to generate these resources for you and just help you fill in the gaps. Like with whichever one you feel it's not working really well, you can get some ideas and ask AI to generate these resources for you. 
And it never gets tired. You can ask the same question in a hundred different ways. And it's, it's a machine. It doesn't get tired. It will output and output and it can generate these resources for you to help you get through all the things and help you construct and generate these resources for you to use in the MCP classroom. Ooh, I have like a little request from you, Joyce, and see if you have it. Um, because I know when I'm looking into chat GPT, again, one of my favorite tools is something I use every day almost. Um, and I'm curious, the prompts, mm. do you have your specific prompts that you use when, whenever you're using chat GPT? Cause I know for me, I have to continue playing with the prompts because I, I haven't mastered it completely. Mm. So just some of them, cause I kind of do it on the spot as I'm going. So I should have a better structure or plan around writing the prompts because I go into it as I need it. So for example, if I'm going through some really complex content, for example, we did AI in gaming and there's this really complex algorithm called Minimax. And I asked ChatGPT to teach Minimax in a Dr. Seuss style or teach Minimax in a haiku. And I said, I want them to, I want the playfulness. And so I just said, let's teach this not from a computer science perspective, but from a language or literature perspective with poetry. And it did an awesome job. So I was able to, I guess, deescalate or bring down the um, anxiety around this very complex or seemingly complex algorithm. When you look at it, it's pretty gnarly. But when you kind of bring it down in a playful way, and I just asked ChatGPT, can you teach this or can you write a Dr. Seuss story around Minimax? And it's quite nice. So just anyway, um, I would just, again, really imagine how would I bring in different disciplines to really explain a complex topic in more of a playful way. And that would be one example. Um, that I would offer. And it's just quite and little haikus, like they really summarized and condensed it in these little poetry snippets. And it was very accurate. <laughs> and so I have these like posters and stories of this very complex algorithm, but in a playful, in a more accessible way for students, um, in a non-computer science logic way of teaching it. And ChatGPT created that for me in less than 30 seconds. <laughs> I wish that our listeners could see my face right now because I am just like in awe um, because then this makes it so much easier for interdisciplinary, right? Like yes, you're doing computer science, you're doing coding and programming, but then you're like taking in short stories and poetry and like, what? That's so cool. That's so, so cool. And I'm, yeah. And I'm sure that you could also do like a history lesson on that, right? Like, and chat GPT will put it together. Um, wow. Choice. This is, this is amazing. This is really, really cool. It really I love how you said the interdisciplinary because you can ask it to bring in and make connections for you that it's hard for us to do with the the amount of information that's in our brains at every given moment as an educator. And you can ask this tool to be like, I want to make connections with these three disciplines. And if I have the literacy of what I what kind of connection I would like them to make, they can start 
building this really powerful resource. I can ask it. I've had it. Um, we go through the design thinking process and I ask them to generate different client profiles so that my students can, you know, interact with them. And I say, I would like this client to have these kind of characteristics and they'll create the story frame for that client. And it just generates all of these things because it's been trained on what is a client profile. Like it, it gets that information and it generates exactly what we need and things that would take me hours to do either searching for examples online, but I can just ask for it in every step of my design thinking process. I can say, generate examples, give me some ideation using non-digital solutions or with digital solutions. So I give all these creative constraints to it and it will output all the things and just makes the crafting of learning experiences just so much more fun. I'm having fun. I will say I'm having so much fun watching it bring all these ideas together and, or at least give the next iteration, the next possibility of what that could do. And it's been an experience for sure. I mean, Joyce, I'm just now, my mind is just like going all over the place, right? Because then now I'm like, holy cow, this is a great tool to make connections. So if you have students who are interested in in PlayStation 5 or whatever game they're doing, you can make a connection with the content that you're teaching and have ChatGPT create that connection for them, right? Um, because now I'm thinking like for kids who absolutely love the rhyming pattern of Dr. Seuss and they're learning an algorithm that's really gnarly, yeah, put it together and like there's a connection there. And then now it makes sense in my brain because it's something that I really, really like, right? Um, Whoa. I mean, talk about like personalization, right? Like, oh my goodness. Talk about like knowing your kids' interests and then connecting it all and aligning it with what we're teaching. That is incredible. And then it's like, you know, I can already hear an educator be like, well, I don't have time for that. Okay, great. Now we can teach our students, our learners, how to do it themselves so that we don't have to do it, right? Like, if you like Roblox and I don't know anything about Roblox, go put in the chat GPT to like figure out like how to combine and connect your Roblox obsession to whatever we're learning. I want to go back in the classroom, Joyce. <laughs> it will do it. It will do it for you. And it is so powerful. And talk about customizing assessment. Like if you want to write questions that are catered to each student it can like rewrite this assessment, you know, with this perspective or with anime characters, like you can go to town with customizing your mastery checks to truly, you know, be um, linked to what the students are interested in or generate, you know, a series of questions that might accommodate or just connect with what their interests. Absolutely. So much fun. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm like so stoked. I'm so stoked for the future of education. I mean, I have been stoked and now it's just more so like, wow, I, you know, I, I knew that AI is amazing, but now like having this conversation with you, it's like, wow, that's so, so, so cool. Um, Okay, so so we're going to shift a little bit because, you know, we have a lot of um, folks who are hesitant, which rightfully so, right? Like that means that they're paying attention it means that they are a little nervous because it's going against all of their beliefs and values and, and they're, they're really honing in on like how they're feeling about it, which is great. We're going to welcome that. Um, so then how do we 
create a space where our learners can use these tools and it's not seen as like cheating or um, an end all be all, right? Like, because yes, we can use chat GPT to create some really cool things for us, but we as humans still need to read through to make sure the accuracy is there. Absolutely. To make sure that it makes sense, right? So how do we create a space where AI is welcomed, um, where AI is still being looked at and revised and all of that good stuff as far as like the output, um, just to ensure that like educators start feeling good about AI. Mm. So my first, the first thing that comes to my mind is reframing what is innovation. So we're not even going to talk about AI. It's what does it mean to be innovative? And in the 16 years I've been teaching, I look for patterns. I'm very patterns oriented. I look for them. And as soon as I see them, it grounds me. When I entered into the tech world, everything changed all the time. And quickly after my first year, I said, I have to find things that ground me. And so because it doesn't matter the technology, I have to know what grounds me, what keeps me with my feet on the ground, and I will be ready for any technology that comes out because I cannot keep up with it. I was very naive my first year teaching, and I was quickly humbled and brought to my senses that I needed to find ways to ground myself. So I started to reframe innovation. And for me, when I teach innovation to students, I say innovation is about creatively using available knowledge and resources to meet human needs and enhance human experiences. That's what we're doing. Any tool that comes our way is going to be helping us meet our needs and enhance our experiences. And humans have been very innovative throughout history since the beginning of time. So what I do with myself and my students, I say we are going to trace any contemporary tool can be traced back to a human need. And you will see the story of innovation unfold. And we are just in a current chapter. And so I say, let's invite, let's, let's put innovation and technology in its place. And let's remind ourselves, what are all the different ways we were meeting our needs prior to this tool? And now how does this tool help amplify and take us to the next iteration. And one of the patterns is technology, innovation is helping us go further faster. So I would spend hours debugging and trying, and that is a lot of human potential wasted. It was necessary, (laughs) but what a waste to find a semicolon. What a waste. And I'm like, because you're you're looking, you're physically, humanly tired going through all these lines of code. And it, was, it wasn't even a conceptual misunderstanding. It was just a semicolon wasn't placed in the proper location. And what a disservice to innovation and to creating a solution. So I think my first thing is just inviting, inviting educators. Let's humanize innovation. Let's see ways throughout history that we've been trying to solve this human need. And where does AI now fit in? AI is now one more resource available to many of us. How can we use that to meet our needs and enhance our experiences, the hours and those within our circles of influence? And I think that way of thinking has helped demystify um, and just helped ground my students a little bit more. And it's helped when I talk to colleagues just... When we think about, for example, um, 
tracing stories of innovation is something that's very dear to my heart because that is what has helped me humanize innovation. And I'll just give you some examples and um, we'll see where it can go. So for example, sometimes you can trace a, a story of innovation based on a human need. Let's take telecommunication. I need to communicate over a distance. That's what telecommunication is. Today, we have text messaging, video conferencing, all the things. I invite my students to go back as far as they can go. What is the earliest form of communicating over a distance? And they'll say, shouting, because you're screaming to the other person. I'm like, great. What are the benefits and limitations? Well, the benefits is that I can speak to someone further away. The limitations is I won't be able to sustain, sustain this over time. I'll lose my voice. Um, everybody who is within hearing distance will hear the message. It is not protected or private. So there it is. And then we start looking at different iterations, smoke signals. And then we start looking at like just every single iteration that has, is bringing us to where we are today. Not every single one, but meaningful ones. And I will say my favorite iteration of telecommunication is the pigeon carrier. Because there was once a human that looked at a pigeon and said, that there has potential. And, but they were an observer. They watched the animal. They watched, you know, the interactions and its possibilities. And it was a booming business. The pigeon carrier was a booming business for a long time um, in the realm of telecommunication. So these are the kinds of things I like to trace. And I invite my students to think of different cultures. Well, how did different cultures um, deal with telecommunication? How have different civilizations over time met that need of telecommunication? And so I did that with AI. I said, what's the story of AI? And when we think about it, it's part of the story of humans compiling knowledge to make informed decisions. I am asking, I have compiled knowledge and I am now tapping into that knowledge to help me make an informed decision or create a product based on that information. Humans have been compiling knowledge since the beginning of time. We're storytellers, which is why elders in a community had so much value because they held the knowledge. They had the experience. They had the knowledge of that community. And then Again, just like we have problems with bias and who's telling the story, that was also true. Because a ruler, if you are the scribe in a certain dynasty, you cannot, you know, speak poorly of your ruler. You have to interpret that culture, that society's culture and your ruler's story through their lens. So bias and, you know, the perspectives have always been skewed because we have to, you know, we're trying to, as we consolidate and compile information and capture information about um, a certain group, they were also limited to what was approved or not approved and who got to approve it. So these ideas aren't new. How we deal with that has changed. We have new resources available and has definitely amplified um, many of our benefits, but also many of our problems too. But it's so interesting to be tracing the iterations, just seeing how different cultures then throughout history, how humans have done this. And I don't know, have you ever heard of the Antikythera mechanism by the Greeks? No, Joyce. <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to, okay. So the Greeks designed this really intricate mechanical gear system that will, it, it is accurate till today. It will output the date and time of eclipses and astronomical events. 
Why would they create a machine like that? Because we need to understand their society. They're polytheistic. They wanted to make sure that their practices were aligned with their religion. And so they had mathematicians and astronomers who noticed patterns and developed a formula that they were able to transform into a mechanical algorithm. And that was used to generate uh, output that would help them make a decision as a society of when things would take place. And that is one example of how they determined when the Olympics would take place, when in the year and what time. And it is precise. It is old but good technology. It works. So this idea of getting machines to automate and help us with decision-making processes isn't new. So the concept of AI isn't new. Getting a machine to do things for us is not new. <laughs> Other cultures and civilizations in the past have been doing that. Oh, Joyce, I feel like this is going to be an episode that I'm going to listen to every single day for like the next, the rest of the year, because you're literally, again, just my mind is blown with all of the things, right? Like when you, when you consider innovation, um, it's true, right? Like you want to be able to look at history. You want to be able to see like the human needs and, and the solutions that we've provided. Yes. Um, I just, I love the fact that you just like covered so much in that, right? Like the global need, different cultures, biases, perspectives, like all of that plays a role and it's not necessarily a bad thing because um, we're creating, we're yes. creating. Yes. And we all <sighs> are. Every culture is trying to meet their needs. I'm in Korea, yes. the kimchi culture. Why do they create the kimchi culture? It's not only a human need, but it's the experience of the spices and how do we really optimize this? It's about preservation before refrigeration. You know, it's it, there's a story and it's this really long culture, this kimchi culture. Um, it's been such a joy to start seeing the many ways that humans throughout history have been innovative. And many times we think it has to be a technical tool, a technology tool, a digital tool, and it doesn't. Um, I was just telling my students, if we embrace, just today, I said, if we embrace the idea that innovation is about meeting human needs and enhancing human experiences, it will look, it can look small, it can look big. So I gave an example in my classroom. I have my trash bins in specific locations for easy access for my students and myself. But then I noticed that when maintenance came in to um, fix up or clean up my area, where I had positioned it when the door was open was very difficult to access. There was just all this gymnastics happening to get to it. And by watching and observing the difficulty, I now created a protocol for myself because I know when they come in and I know through which door they come in, I now position. It's a routine that I do for myself at the end of the day to position my trash bins in a space. That movement of furniture, I didn't need a new trash bin, you know, let me just redesign a trash bin. No, I just needed to relocate them, reposition them. And that repositioning enhanced that experience for that person as they came in to care for my space. And I told the kids that is, the impact is small because it's my small circle of influence and it impacted this one person, but that is innovation. The repositioning of furniture can be an act of innovation if it optimizes and enhances your experience in this environment and for those around you. So those are the kinds of examples I like to give them of non-digital everyday ways to improve your experience of the world around you and for those within your circles of influence. 
I want to be in your class. <laughs> can, can I can I take your class, please? Come on over. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, you know, there's a lot more, but yes. listeners, we're gonna take a quick break, real quick, for an announcement, and then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more on innovation and how to to actually like ethically and you know ethically use innovation as well as like making sure that it is accessible and inclusive for even just that one person right so okay hey there listeners this is zach as you know at the modern classrooms project we believe deeply in student-centered learning we've seen it in classrooms all over the world when you step down from the front of the classroom and commit to self-paced, mastery-based instruction, you're actually able to meet all of your students' needs. But we also know this style of teaching isn't necessarily mainstream. It's difficult. If you're looking for support in launching your modern classroom, join our free online course or sign up for our virtual mentorship program where expert educators can support and mentor you through creating your first fully self-paced unit. Scholarships are available, so visit modernclassrooms.org or check out the links in the show notes to apply and learn more. We also have some learning experiences for you this upcoming week. Check out the show notes for links to these events. So first, our community of educators have consistently raved about GoGuardian. So we invited them into our space. Discover innovative classroom solutions in our webinar using GoGuardian in your modern classroom on Wednesday, November 8th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time to enhance your blended, self-paced, mastery-based learning environment. Want to meet other implementers from all over the world and troubleshoot all things modern classrooms? Connect with our educators during our monthly implementer meetup on Wednesday, November 8th at 7 p.m. Eastern, right after the GoGuardian webinar. Are you an educator with all types of learners in your class and looking for better ways to access resources to better serve all learners? We've partnered with Educating All Learners, who provides curated, searchable resources for all to access. Join us on Thursday, November 9th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Finally, you've gone through the free course and the mentorship program and you're wondering what's next? Well, you can join us to learn more about becoming a Distinguished Modern Classrooms Educator or a DMCE in an info session on Thursday, November 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Now let's get back into this very cool conversation about AI with Joyce and Tony Rose. All right, and now we're back with Joyce, and I'm excited to continue this conversation because Again, you know, here at MCP um, and me specifically, like it is a priority of mine um, to make learning accessible and inclusive, right? And you just like talked about how innovation is making sure that something is accessible for even if it's just one person, but I feel like that impact is so huge, right? Because I feel like when we make something accessible for one person, we make it accessible for all. It doesn't necessarily mean that like because I am making some changes for one person that it's going to impact a different like a person in a negative way, right? Mm. If anything, it's just going to enhance. And then like you said, it's all about observing and mm. watching um, because we're not going to get it right the first time, nope. right? Like we're going to mess up a lot just because we're human beings. We Absolutely. do have biases. We yes, do we have do. perspective. Um, we have our own experiences. And so we have a lot of things that we lack 
which is beautiful and scary and beautiful, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, so when we think about innovation and AI, like how do you anticipate AI to make learning more accessible and inclusive? My biggest excitement around this is how highly customizable it is, which is if you have the language around the type of learner and what they need, you can generate highly customizable tools and resources for them. You have multilinguals, you can translate things in an instant and you can create resources that are more um, that can help them transition from their home language to whatever um, to English or to whatever language being used in the classroom. So the high customization opportunity is such a space that we can tap into um, when we think about again, teaching students how to use ChatGPT, you can ask ChatGPT to take on a persona, a role, and you can ask it to be, okay, you are going to be my tutor. Again, if they have the language, and if you can help them generate those prompts and say, use these keywords and phrases, you can have ChatGPT become a tutor where it asks questions, a series of questions on a topic, and um, you're able to interact with it from it just asking you questions. So, Again, just like we were saying, you can generate resources that are highly customizable to your learners, um, whether it's language, whether it's I need to have this text in different levels and I would like to have it rewritten or restructured in different ways. I need to have more spaces, whatever it is that you need to customize that experience for that learner. ChatGPT and other um, generative AI tools can do that. They are highly customizable. So knowing what you need and the language around that, like you can put in an IEP and like be like, you know, go go through this IEP and generate some strategies that I can use to target this skill or target this um, thing. So you can feed it large quantities of data and it can go through and extract patterns and output some best practices. And you can ask it to do it in table format. So we'll organize it in a table and a visually organized way for you and your team or for you and your learners. It's highly customizable. And I think that's the power. Right. And and that saves us so much time, right? As an educator, we're not, we're not starting off with a blank canvas. Like we have this thing that's assisting us. Cause I know like I was in the classroom for 10 years and I, was SPUD certified. I was ESL certified. So like EL certified. So I had all kinds of students in my classes and they just like put it, put them all in there, which was beautiful. I love the, 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 the diversity of it. Right. Um, and I think I really struggled with trying to figure out how I could differentiate for every single one of my students. And now you're telling me that chat GPT is here. Um, and I mean, even IEPs, Joyce, I was like overwhelmed with IEPs. Cause I was like, these are long. Like, these are long. Who got time to read all this? And at the same time, it's the law. You have to read it. You have to. You have to. So, But now you have a tool. We have so much data already. We have these files and we've documented these things. But sometimes it's like, okay, I have this huge document. I have, it doesn't mean we always start from scratch. We have a lot of resources that we've that we've been handed, you know, over or that has been generated by the different specialists in our community, in our school and whatnot. And it's just so powerful to like, let me put all this in here into this machine because it does, it's not overwhelmed. 
by the amount of data that you put into it. Um, and just be like, okay, what patterns do we notice? What can we extract from this document that already exists? So it's not always the creation of things for us, but it's the interpretation of what we already have. How do we draw meaningful practices and meaningful next steps based on what already exists and bringing those into a more meaningful and productive uh, conversation. So yeah, definitely bringing in the resources that already exist and have been generated. Yeah. I mean, this is again, just like so fascinating, right? So for example, even like as a gen ed teacher, if I have a student who is dyslexic, right? And I have no idea about anything, you know, about anything with dyslexia. And so now I can use chat GPT to be like, Hey, I have this lesson and I have a kid who's, you know, who is dyslexic. And so like, how can I make this more accessible for them? And so then I'm not sitting there trying to figure it out. I already have ideas that's provided for me. And now like saves me energy, saves me brain space, saves me time. Right. And so, um, that that's really, really, really intriguing and just so exciting as far as like teachers now have this tool to enhance everything that we're doing. And then as well as like, you know what, learner, like advocate for yourself, do it. I'm going to teach you how to do it. So then you can utilize this tool whenever you don't have to use it just in my classroom, use it in your everyday life because people are using it in their everyday life. Yes. And just with your background, I was just listening to you. You actually have such a rich vocabulary and literacy around the students that you have served. And for me, if I wanted to be able to tap into, this is where we can have really interesting conversations with our school, our community, with our counselors, with um, everyone who's involved in the different facets of learning, because they have the language and vocabulary that will help me refine my prompt. And so sometimes I wouldn't even know the language to put in, but if I'm partnering with people and say, teach me, like give me keywords and phrases that will really customize and help me interpret and understand how I can serve the student, what kind of prompt I can generate. Again, the better the vocabulary, like dyslexia, if I don't know that word, I will not be able to ask it to generate resource. And it can, but if I don't have the literacy or the language to um, engineer that prompt, it won't give me those kinds of solutions that I want. So just really that collaboration among educators and teams of educators will help build our language and vocabulary to build richer prompts and get the machines to generate really meaningful resources to our students. And I really appreciate you honing in on like the connections, right? It's still really important to have these conversations with colleagues, to have conversations with folks that you would typically not have conversations with, just so that you can expand your 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 words um, and your knowledge. Because I know for me, when I speak to folks that like, I have nothing, I don't know anything about their culture, their identities or anything like that. And then they articulate something for me. I'm like so grateful that like, oh, that's the word that I've been looking for. And I didn't know that that was even the word that I needed. Um, and so like the fear, I think of like AI taking over, I mean, of course that's, that's a fear it's valid. Right. And at the same time, it's also like, well, there's still a lot of human connection and human need for AI to function the way that they need to function. Um, so Joyce, I went to this conference, um, Lesbians Who Tech. And so we focused solely, it was so great, like being with queers, just like queer leaders and like 
amazing trans non-binary leaders in tech. Um, and our focus was AI. This year's focus was AI. Um, and so uh, Google created Bard. Have you had a chance to play around with Bard? Not yet. No. <laughs> um, no, and that's okay. I haven't either. But um uh, they, you know, they had a presentation about it and it was such a powerful thing because they, they, they acknowledge the fact that like biases and perspectives like still there. So like if folks are asking a really problematic question on AI, right, like in AI using it, then AI could provide really um, painful and harmful um, information, right? And so um, Bard is doing this thing where they're trying to catch the biases and they're trying to catch opinions. And I mean, Joyce, it's really cool because then they could also fact check, right? Like, hey, in this study, it says this, but now, but also, however, we found other sites that says this. So it's not just like a validate my opinion. It's like, a, okay, you're asking something here are studies and here are like links to click on so you can fact check what it is that you're asking. And I was like, yes, Google. Yes, Bard. That's exactly what we should be doing, right? Like, because, you know, I'm a firm believer, like we have confirmation bias. If we are looking for something and it could be the most like just awful thing. We're going to find something to validate that thing. Right. And so Bard is like kind of, I don't want to say ahead of this, the, the game, but it's more so like they're being mindful. Like they understand that like folks are asking some real interesting questions out there. And so, um, so what ethical, what other ethical considerations should educators keep in mind when using AI in the classroom? So the acknowledgement of algorithmic bias is so important. We have to acknowledge that it exists. And when I teach my students, we've done AI in chatbots. We just finished our unit on it. I was showing them where the corpus, where we're getting this. And I said, the corpus has been generated by humans. Who got to speak? whose voice is represented. If I don't have access to technology, my voice is not in the corpus. And so just really being transparent with where this data is coming from, where, who, where was it generated? And if you think about it, it's people who had access to technology. That's who generated the corpus that exists right now in which these tools are being created and generated the good stuff and the bias and the bad stuff. And I think just having a really transparent conversation and even modeling for them. All right, we're going to do this. We're going to output. And every AI generator has a human verification. You do a thumbs up, a thumbs down, and you comment. I tell the students, use that. If they, if there's an output that is iffy, you're not really sure, you click that thumbs down and give it some feedback. And so we do have an opportunity to be teaching and to be working with this algorithm by that human verification. It's a small thing, but it does exist and we should tap into it as we're using this tool. So I, I love the transparency that you said to acknowledge the, the bias, discuss the generated output, explore it with students, look at what it generated, how might it, how might it be improved upon, what, where's the error? And or if it did, um, so for example, when you ask it to generate an essay, who determined that's the structure of an essay? 
Because in Brazil, we have a different writing style. Okay, but who gets to say that's the structure of an essay? And so when you start seeing this output, who got to make that decision? Yes. And so just having those transparent conversations and help them push back in whatever, you know, whatever forms that they can, even starting with that verification, a thumbs up, thumbs down and a feedback, that is a starting point to push back on what was output. And it does. It does learn. There are these algorithms that help it modify. If you do a thumbs down, it does go to a different data set um, in order for it to be filtered through again. So you do have some power to start pushing back in some of the outputs that have been generated. And I tell my students, you tap into that. You say, nope, that's not, you know, it's not what I wanted, or I need you to reframe it with this perspective. And that pushback is necessary to keep teaching and feeding this machine. And I, I ask students, how do we get the, the voices that don't exist or that very soft? Because I tell them it's based on patterns. Whoever speaks the loudest, like whoever speaks more is the voice that's amplified on this tool. So how do we bring in the voices of the voiceless, of the smaller communities, of those who don't have access to it? I'm like, those are questions worth answering. And those are like, how do we bring them in to the output and to the corpus that is generating this output? Oh my gosh, I have chills. Joyce, I have chills. Oh my gosh. I have, I'm like, can we do another podcast? Can we do more things? Because I feel like this is such it's a rich a conversation. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Beautiful conversation. Um, and I didn't even think about the human verification. I'm literally the one that's like, eh, ignore, ignore, ignore. But then you're right. This is a small, like it's a small, powerful move. Um, and, and it's a way to push back. Because, you know, there's there's lots of talks about algorithms being biased, so biased, right? And you're absolutely right. It is the person with the loudest voice. It is the person who has access to all of these things that are like putting all of these things in the machine. And so you're giving me so many thoughts. Um, we're going to touch base after this just so that I can be like, how can I continue elevating your expertise and your skills and and all of the things that you have to offer for our community? Because I'm I'm just so amped right now. Like, oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> it's exciting. I love it. Um, okay. We're literally just like touching the surface on this, Joyce. Um, but we're going to continue. I'm sure that our community is going to see more of you. Um, and so I'm really, really excited about that. And so what do you, I don't want to end the conversation, but I do want to be mindful of your time. Um, what do you hope to see in the future and what goals do you have? I want to see us humanizing innovation. I want to see that tools are made to serve humans. And we all have limited time and energy, and I honor that, and I understand that. But I think this is a time where we have to ask what questions are worth answering and what questions are worth our students' time and energy. If they are copy-pasting, why? Why did they not get excited about the question you asked them? What are we asking them? And if schools decide that plagiarism is a question worth answering and we're going to, you know, lock down, we want to control and they feel that that is worth their time and energy. Go for it. Personally, I want to show they won't be able to see the paper. What questions do I think are worth answering? These, the SDGs until these have been answered. I'm like, we need to talk about poverty. How do I learn calculus and language and literature? And how do I bring all what I know 
to help beat or tackle poverty in my community or sustainability? How can I use everything I'm learning in education? These are questions worth answering. These are worth our time and energy. We can talk about all the others and I'm not minimizing the concerns, but I'm saying there are so many bigger questions for us to answer. And we have such a powerful tool at our disposal. And I'm like, let's use it to answer these questions, to find solutions faster and get us to these places of equity, sustainability, faster. Um, And so I'm like, I got no time for others. I want to talk about this. I want to get this taken care of. That's my hope for the future of innovation and education. You are literally going to be my new bestie and I just like learned so much from you. I am so excited to elevate you and like continue to have you in our community to talk about this because sustainable development goals, I forgot about those. Bring them back. Bring them back. Yes. Yes. And now I'm just going to be like in everything I do, I'm like, yeah, sustainable development goals. Like we got to look at this. We got to look at this because these are the ones that are going to make the more the most impact the most impact, right? It's not the copy and paste. It's not <laughs> like, uh, but that, that, you know, work pebbles, we're moving pebbles. Um, and that, oh my gosh, I'm so excited, Joyce. I'm so excited. Um, okay. So, so how can our listeners connect with you? Because I'm sure, um, just like me, they're like, we want more of Joyce. Where do we get Joyce? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm building my little footprint. But currently, I think Twitter, um, X as it now is called, is probably the best place where I am more um, visible. And that's where I just kind of share out my work. So it's at Joyce CLP. So at Joyce CLP is my handle. And oh my goodness, we can message and start the conversation there and continue it um, wherever it needs to go. But I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to share. So thank you so much for creating this space and just inviting me in. Um, I love being able to talk about this. And it's such a joy when I have a group of people and just someone interested in listening (laughs) and being a thought partner as we process these ideas. Mm. Listeners, slide into those DMs, y'all. Slide into those DMs. Thank you so much, Joyce. This was definitely a highlight of my week. And so listeners, remember, you can always email us at podcast.modernclassrooms.org and you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 163. We'll have this episode's transcript uploaded by Friday, so be sure to check back to access those. Also, we are asking our listeners to leave a review if this podcast has been helpful in supporting you to create a blended, self-paced, mastery-based learning environment. It does help other folks find it. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week and we'll be back next Sunday. Bye. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students and schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.